Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the gospel of John that has uh, blessed and encouraged us. And Father, now as we look at some of these opportunities before us, I pray even now your blessing on that coming Wednesday uh, ministry to kids. And Father, uh, we pray as we gather so comfortably and so quietly here, we think of the people uh, in Florida and just ask your mercy, your grace, your strength. Pray for many who will, in the name of Christ, serve and in, in so many needy ways. But Father, we just lift up the people there and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're looking at this slide up there, you'll see it's uh, the it's that's this. You might wonder how does this connect with the Gospel of John? Well, we've talked about the feasts. Remember, John likes to to key into the feasts. It was almost Passover at the feeding of the five thousand. It was the feast of uh, booths when Jesus. We've been during the feast of booths time, and I'll remind you of the how they all fit together in just a moment. But Monday, this last Monday, two days ago was Rosh Hashanah, which, which literally means head of the year or new year. And one of the things that's kind of fun is the, the Jewish people have three new years. I guess they just like new years. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is sort of a, a civil uh, new year. And, and we'll look at that, how it fits in. It's Obviously, it's in the spring. The, the uh, Nisan... In, in Nisan, which is in the when spring, when Passover is, that's actually where the Lord said, this is the beginning of your year. So that's sort of the religious new year. And then they celebrate um, January 1st with us. So they get three. Now, again, some have pointed out, well, a lot of us are used to that. A lot of times you might say, well, we'll start that when the school, when the, when the year starts. And we're thinking school year. Or sometimes if you're into accounting, you might talk about the fiscal year. So we, we do a little bit about that. But that's so that's what sometimes you'll see a little confusion. Wait a minute. I thought the year started around Passover. It does. And it also starts uh, in the fall. So that's Rosh Hashanah. It is, it's the beginning of the fall festivals. And those are uh, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Again, we've been talking a lot about tabernacles because that's when our Lord is doing this ministry in John chapter uh, uh, 8 as he is, uh, and, and 7. He's there during the period of tabernacles. The Rosh Hashanah is not one of the three required festivals. Remember we said there's um, seven festivals, seven feasts, and, um, and but only three of them require the men of Israel to come to Jerusalem. And we see that in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, Jerusalem. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, or that's Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So bring your gifts, bring your offerings, bring your sacrifices. So that's something. So we can now, again, I'd like to spend some more time talking about this. Remember, we've looked at this before. This is our our... our display of the seven feasts. Uh, we, we Passover, we saw, was over there in the spring. So that's, um, you can see it over here, that's our March-April, right? We know that because uh, you know, it's around the time of our, our Easter kind of connects, but our Easter is built on a solar system, solar calendar. The, um, 
the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. That's why the things kind of move around. So we've, we've talked about Passover. We know about that. Unleavened bread is the week that follows of not eating leaven, not eating leaven things. Matzah is, replaces normal bread. First fruits, that's the resurrection. And then um, Pentecost or weeks. We're coming all the way around the calendar here to Tishri, which is, you know, well, as you can see, it's October now. Um, trumpets, and, and that's the beginning. Uh, uh, it's calling it Rosh Hashanah, New Year. That's not directly said in the Bible. So it's called the Feast of Trumpets, followed by the Feast of Atonement, followed by Tabernacles. I've got a quote here from Dr. Walvoord that talks about how these fit into biblical prophecy. I don't think I'll read all of that, but you can see he walks through some of them. But I put that, or I've kind of worked on it myself a little bit and, and developed this little chart for you. So it's interesting, the feast, of course, Passover uh, points to the crucifixion of Christ, right? I mean, that's he's the fulfillment of it. Uh, so the feasts in many ways point to Christ and the unleavened bread speaks of holiness, no sin, but also points to his, his, his body and his burial. <clears throat> First fruits, again, that's Pentecost, um, is the ascending of the Holy Spirit. Then there is the, the, the months of break before the fall festivals, where the, um, um, the did I get that? I goofed up there, didn't I? Yeah, I reversed them. The Passover and all those, those are spring. The uh, the ones we're talking about are fall. You're supposed to have caught me. That was a trap. I was just seeing things paying attention. Uh, trumpets, that's Rosh Hashanah. That, that's the prediction of the gathering of Israel. So we're used to the military blowing the trumpet for the bugle for all sorts of things. Time to go to bed, time to get up, time to gather for a meal, time to attack, time to retreat. But the blowing of the shofar, this is the ram's horn, was a way of saying time to gather often. Matter of fact, during the, the day of, of ceremonies in Rosh Hashanah in the synagogue, uh, they'll blow the trumpet a hundred times. So you get the point. It's about trumpets. Um, some say that that depicts, that's a picture of the rapture. Remember the trumpet, the, the, the dead Christ shall rise. I'm not inclined myself to think that because the Old Testament, in the New Testament says the church is a mystery. It was unknown in the Old Testament. And so I don't see a direct uh, prophecy about the church and the rapture in, in, Old, in Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament. But it, it fits with being the regathering of Israel. Then comes the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's when Israel will finally repent when they will uh, look upon him whom they pierced and mourn as for an only child. Isaiah 53 you know, is, is the prayer of that repentance. <clears throat> and then finally, tabernacles or booths, is the, that's, that's a picture of the kingdom where if it was they're wandering in the wilderness, this will be their final uh, settlement in the land. And uh, tabernacles is one of the feasts that will be celebrated uh, in the kingdom. So they do have some prophetic significance. So if you're taking notes or taking pictures, we need to change that uh, 
fall and spring. Matter of fact, I, I can't stand that. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> Give me a moment. took a picture go back and delete it so there'd be no evidence that that was never there what mistake uh, this this is described um, in Leviticus uh, speak to the children of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month so that's the month of Tishri you shall have a Sabbath rest a memorial of blowing of trumpets a holy convocation so there's some indication that the, the reason they this there became their, why would you do New Year on the seventh month? Especially when you're told the calendar begins uh, in Nisan, in, in, in the Passover. Well, apparently that's something they picked up in Babylon. So that was a New Year time in Babylon, and so they decided to celebrate with trumpets. You know, during the Babylonian captivity. So there's a mention of what's involved and and in numbers 21 29 verses 1 to 6 it's a day of blowing trumpets and offerings so this is one of those times if you've got kids you know you, you plug in the earplugs but it's uh when we say trumpets again it's, it's this sort of thing it's the blowing of the shofar the ram's horn and sometimes we'll do that at our seder just as a picture so it's a time of blowing the trumpets a hundred uh, as part of the synagogue service on that day. Lots of different kinds of blasts they put out. Um, it's a time, one of the things your Jewish friends, if you have any Jewish friends around uh, at that time, you might notice that they're doing something. They, they eat special kinds of foods. Um, they, they, they like to eat apples, which by the way, this is the time of year when apples are around, right? And, and apples, if, if you... If you buy them correctly, they're sweet. Kind of disappointing. You ever bite it into a really good-looking apple and it's not? Well, they they, um, they double protect themselves on that. They eat apples dipped in honey. Sweet. And that's to, and what they're saying is that's kind of a representation hoping for a sweet new year. They also, I don't know if you can see there, there's a pomegranate up there. Um, and they, they also have pomegranates uh, just kind of the, represent the uh, bounty. You know, there's lots of seeds in a pomegranate. You know, lots of blessings in the new year. If you ever notice sometimes in bakeries or whatever, you'll see challah bread. That's the bread that's specific for the Sabbath and festivals. Uh, so it's all twined together. Uh, some will put, you know, if you've seen it, usually it's kind of a long loaf with some twisting in it. This is a, a round one. You know, kind of the idea of here we're going around for the next year sort of thing. Well, there's been different discussions. Why is it around? But they do that. So you'll see some of that. And it's, again, it's a time of sweets. And so they have all kinds of uh, sweets just because hoping you a happy new year. Okay, and, that, and you'll hear the expression what this is, Shana Tova, a good year to you. Okay. And um, here's an, an older... Uh, a Rosh Hashanah card um, and basically it's saying uh, may you be 
inscribed and sealed. May you, uh, in, in the book, may you be, in, in, in the book of life, may you be inscribed and sealed. That's a big theme in rabbinic Judaism. Biblical Judaism, that was the blowing of trumpets, and, and it was a, uh, other things that uh, were, it was a time of worship, a time of gathering. The major theme of Rosh Hashanah, if I would put, if you put it one word, one thing comes is repentance. And so, um, let me see if I have some more about that. On Rosh Hashanah, it is written. On Yom Kippur, it is sealed. So here's the theory that they work on. There are three books in heaven. One is the really, really bad. One is the, the really, really good, and that's a short book. And one is the, eh, you know, hetsy you know, it's a little bit of both. How you, at, at this time of year, God stands, if you will, in judgment. He looks out over the people and decides, how have you done? And that will determine whether you make it into the book of life for the next year. The book of life is you live. And so God looks over your performance for the year and evaluates and decides. And so your one of your, your, your uh, greetings is, may you be written in the book. You know, may, may you make the cut. May you uh, be chosen in the draft. They say on Rosh Hashanah, it is written. So you might get written into the book. On Yom Kippur, it is sealed. So there's a 10-day period day there, and they call them the, the Days of uh, Awe. If, if you have a chance to turn things around in those last 10 days. Kind of reminds me when I'm dealing with students, we used to at the college when I was dealing with students. Um, I got into the, I realized they all did, so towards the end of the year, I would start, or semester, I'd start cranking out. This is, this is where you are. And um, so if you were to get a grade based on where you are right now, this is what you would get. And and this is what you need to, and, and, and there's only so many more points available at the end of the semester. So best case scenario, okay, you've gotten 30s on all your exams so far, but let's assume you get 100 for this next exam. That would raise you up to, and so some of them walk out from, and, and I always did that just before the drop failed. So they could say, okay, I'm dropping. You know, I would try to protect them. Anyway, um, so, but it's a lot, some people scramble and say, I can make it. And so I'm going to redouble my efforts. And I'm going to, so, so this is kind of a, here's what's written, but it's not a sealed until Yom Kippur. And then you've set, the, you know, you're, it's, it's, the book is closed and you either are or are not in the book of life. Come back to this a little bit more, but here's one of the things that uh, some of the Jews that this kind of started in I think around the 1300s, a day called Tashlich, <clears throat> Tashlich. It comes from Micah 7:19. He God will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You speaking to God will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will cast is the Hebrew word Tashlich. So, on the, so they do a tashlich perform, uh, ceremony. They will go to a body of water, preferably with fish, 
and they will cast in pieces of bread representing their sins. You know, so if I lived around a large Jewish population, I might have someone want to borrow my pickup truck. It's going to take a lot of bread. You know? But but as they go, and uh, and that represents their casting their their guilt into the sea, like like God says He will do in in Micah. Okay, so probably this week, not one of you has talked with the. Has anyone talked with a Jewish friend this week? Okay, we're in East Texas. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay. One of our doctors. There you go. And so, but in other words, out in Terrell, there's no synagogue. You need to have at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. Uh, so we don't bump into too much, but this is a, depending on where you live, you might see, see this or encounter it. Let's talk about those 10 days of awe between Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> New Year, and um, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's considered to be 10 days of repentance. And you notice I've got a paragraph I'm, I, I've copied a portion of from jewfact.org. So this is a Jewish source. Uh, begins on Rosh Hashanah and ends on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. So again, a major theme is repentance and rest, you know, reconciliation with God. So I want you to notice down here, and I try to highlight this. Um, where is it? Let me see. The books are written in Ro on Rosh Hashanah, but our actions during the days of awe can alter God's decree. So you come to you know the the day of uh, Rosh Hashanah, New Year, and your God stands in judgment in, in how you've done over the year. This this having a list of you know how you've done good and bad does that remind you of anyone? Santa Claus, yeah, it does. But so 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 by Rosh Hashanah, it's written. But notice it says, our actions during the days of awe can alter God's decree. You have 10 days um, to get things straight. The actions that change the decree are tshuva, tefillah, and tzedakah. You can see that they're, they're good sermon writers. Uh, three T words. Tshuva is repentance. And that's that's the Hebrew word for to turn around, to repent. Tefillah is prayer. And tzedakah is righteousness or good deeds, like giving money to the poor. And so especially because since the day of the temple, uh, the temple destruction, in the day of the temple, what did you do? You brought offerings. You brought sacrifices for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. What do you do for atonement now since there is no temple? And the rabbis will tell you these three things. Repentance, prayer, and good works. And uh, these, this determines if, if you can pull it out and make it into the book of life for the next year. I don't know if they made it. I guess by the end of the year, you'll know. <laughs> if you're not dead. Yeah. Um, and so notice here, there's a typical thing, you like a greeting card, a greeting, may you be inscribed and sealed for a good year, another symbol even for us, and may it be a sweet year. <coughs> so here's a question for you on those 10 days of awe. Is this grace? Does this sound like grace or works to you? Works. Works, isn't it? 
you've got to do these things and, and that determines whether you make it into the book of life for another year. By the way, so in the next year someone dies. What does that seem to imply to you? I didn't think you measured up. <laughs> but I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Doesn't that really put it on you? Because I'll let out a little secret here. I'll, I'll, you know, it's not just a Jewish thing, but just I think all of us should understand. One of these years, each one of us is going to die. So does that mean you you just really messed up the year before? <laughs> but you see how it's a, it's a work thing. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a works thing. Have you ever, haven't you ever heard? And you know, we all fall into this. You talk to a friend, and maybe you, you know, you're doing really well. You know, your, you know, your your doctor said your cholesterol is in the negatives, or you know, whatever it might be. You know, it, 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 everything's gone. What? A, wow, you must be living right. You know, you know, you've you've earned it. So this, to me, is, really shows you in the rabbinic system is you earn God's blessing. And if you do mess up, there is grounds for forgiveness um, through uh, uh, repentance, through prayer, and through good deeds. Now, one, some in the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox, they'll take a, I think it's a chicken, and they'll wave it around their head and pray, you know, may, may this, you know, may this one, you know, kind of take my sin away. Then they'll sacrifice it and either give it away to someone that needs food or sell it and give them money. That's another way of doing a little something extra, but it almost, almost brings sacrifice into the system. So so this is kind of, so Rosh Hashanah, for a lot of it, it's party time. You know, for the, this is your, you know, it's, it's rough on the diabetics, but uh, you know, this is the time where sweets are everything, you know, and, and there's honey and there's all kinds of good things and, you're, and you're, the theme is sweet. When you get to the Day of Atonement, that's a day of fasting and um, you know, making things right. Another thing that often it goes on in these 10 days is if you've got someone, if you've got a problem with someone, if you've offended someone, you seek them out and make it right. So a lot of that goes on as well. Oh, you yeah, good, good idea. You're going to buy a car from a Jewish car dealer? <laughs> yeah. And you might even start off with hope you make it into the book next year. So, about this price. <laughs> what, what are any thoughts or reactions on this? So sad. Sad? Yes. What's sad about it? You know, I keep remembering Martin Luther. Remember in the movie how he's it just you know he's he was just just destroyed by God. I can't be good enough for God, and yet you know both of the, the that that system and the Jewish the Catholic system the Jewish system is it's a merit system. 
And and who of us really has confidence like you know, like that? How do you know? How do you how do you know if you've done enough? Um, this is a great time of year to call up for fundraising and this kind of stuff. <laughs> but 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 there's one thing I do like about it: these ten days of settling accounts for if you've offended, if you've hurt, you're troubled. I remember one time it was around Christmas time, you know. And I was in the car, and the radio was on, it was NPR, and I was listening to someone uh, being interviewed about, he was from Africa, and he, and he was talking about, you know, New Year uh, customs in Africa. And he said, in our, in our churches over there, and I'm not sure that would be every church, but the churches he was associated with, they had a custom that in the days leading up to New Year's Eve, they would go out, and if there were any unsettled offenses, they would go and make things right. And then, New Year's Eve, everyone's gathered together at church. And, and we're kind of starting off with a clean slate, and, and, you're, and you've made things right. And that sounds like not, not necessarily bad. I'm not, again, we shouldn't wait till between Christmas and New Year's Eve. We shouldn't wait until those 10 days. But in that sense, there's some good for you. But I did see in a Jewish context this week, the question is now up. up it, is it legitimate to make your apologies by a text? <laughs> and so, so that's one of the things they're wrestling with. Is that because I mean, if you know, there's some things that's not that big a deal. You know, sorry I took your parking space. You know, <laughs> see you next week. Uh, but there are other things. Can, the text just doesn't seem like that's going to cut it. So, um, but as you think about it, so that's what's going on when they're thinking uh, Rosh Hashanah or New Year. Um, now we're entering in. Now we're into those days of awe. When they're really seeking to get their accounts settled with the Lord before Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. And Yom Kippur is uh, the one required day of fasting. And um, there's only one group that, uh, to my knowledge, the rabbis have determined do not need to fast um, on Yom Kippur. And that's the Holocaust survivors. They say, you've done enough fasting for, for a lifetime. So they get it, you know. So they're that's something they kind of all agree on. Greg, is there any sense among the Jews of grace and that they're given a second chance? I was thinking the same thing. That's almost a trick question. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> it's it's it's. I suppose it's grace that God forgives. But it's it's a grace you have to earn, which instantly says. But then it's not grace. It's, not grace. Yeah. it's interesting. The word grace in Hebrew means something without cause, something done uh, without price. Uh, so if you did something, uh, if I can kind of render the word gracefully, gracious, gracefully, it was. You know, it's not because you, know, you there was nothing that earned it or deserved it. You just did it to do it to be nice. And this is all about, but you've got to do the, the three T's, chuba, tefillah, tzedakah, um, and, and hope for the best. So yeah, it's, it's, so there's, there is grace, God is gracious. But you see, that's where like in Psalm 51, what did David say to the Lord? I mean, you don't want sacrifices. Well, God commanded sacrifices, but what he's saying is, you don't want sacrifices unless they reflect a heart that's repentant. And a broken and contrite heart, that you do want. 
Um, so, yeah, it's a, and, and the idea of free grace, and that's always a redundancy, right? Yeah. Um, free grace is the whole point is you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, you receive it by faith. And that's something that is, that the Jewish people would, they're quite contrary to. The idea that your salvation is just a gift by received by faith. But you know, unless you understand salvation by grace through faith, everybody kind of bristles at the idea that salvation is free. It doesn't seem right. You have to do something. You have to earn it. And the whole point is, you can't. Anyway, so uh, just an interest, so, so a little background in some of this and how it all fits together. Um, and since we've been talking about, you know, the uh, various uh, festivals, I thought I'd pass that on to you. Did you, you mention that it was celebrated on Monday? Yes, so Monday was that, that time. And it's a, and it's a festive time. It's a, it's, it's a joyous, uh, that's a big celebration time. Yes. If you lived in Israel, you were a Gentile, could you celebrate that? Would they give you gifts or not gifts, but sweets? Or? Um, I, I, I was not in any homes during that time. Uh, you know, you could go to a synagogue or to the Wailing Wall, but you didn't count. Remember, I said if you're going to have a synagogue, you have to have 10 men. If you're going to have a prayer meeting, you have to have 10 men. And so you'd see this all the time down at the, at the Western Wall. Uh, some guys want to have a little prayer service, and they've only got eight men. So they're running around trying to grab some. And that was always my answer. I need goy. I'm a, I'm a Gentile. I'm a goy. And they just quickly run off. And I don't know if they wash their hands, but, you know, they, um, you know, so, so I, I couldn't count. But, like, I, one time... A very Orthodox Jewish friend invited me to go to synagogue with him, uh, and so I kind of uh, mind my P's and Q's like the pastor of a Torah scroll, and I, I did not take it or touch it because I didn't think they would want me to. Um, yeah, and there are some limitations uh, as to being a Gentile in those contexts. <coughs> Is there any sense like? Like Paul used to say, people would say, well, now that I'm saved, I can do anything I want. Do they ever get that feeling that after they've successfully or think they've successfully completed their 10 days, that they can do what they want till next year and make up for it? That's a good question. Just this idea of, you know, I've paid the bill, so now I've got free reign for the next year. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure that I've seen that. Uh, that would cer certainly be cynical, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do people think that way? Yes. Um, well, it's kind of like Mardi Gras. Hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Let's get wild before um, the, the 40 days of penance. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Well, the funny thing is they don't do the penance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they gave up penance for Lent. Yeah. See, that's the problem with so many of these man-made religions, these, you know, the, thinking that um, a ritual, thinking that an act, somehow, uh, it's got, and what they would say, you want the heart, you want the heart, and, um, and they want to you know, work on the, the act. 
I was thinking about this word, Pastor Rinian. The flip side of it, I, I know we talked about grace, but for words, what better way to bring discipline to a society? You know, it's like you, you have this structure to guide the people. That's what we're sorely lacking if you think about it, our moral law and how far we've gone and strayed from that. Because that, that sense, the freedom that we've experienced, we've moved away from the discipline we ought to be practicing. Yes, you can see that uh, there's a, the, all these rituals, all these customs have a way of, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And, and certain expectations of conduct and behavior. Again, the, 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 uh, that great theological uh, expression, tradition, you know, from that from fiddler on the roof. Uh, this is how we know what to do. And, and it kind of puts the world in order. I remember one of my uh, professors uh, in Jerusalem saying that uh, they, they asked some rabbi one time, if you were going to be going away to a deserted island for a year, what one book would you take with you? He said, I'd bring a calendar. <laughs> you know, so he could in his, you know, be with the nation through the schedule, through the feasts, through the various holy days. You know, without, you know, that emphasizing it's a community. And so that he's a part of the community through those days. And so that's what he would want to know. What day is it? What feast? What festival? What, um, what, what's going on? But that regulation uh, yes, you can see where that's that's comforting. There's a right thing to do here. This 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 is what we do. Did this apply to the women also? Um, they also, you know, yes, I would. They would, you know, they, they have somewhat slightly different rules. Um, they're they're not required to be in these in in any kind of an assembly. Um, they they um, but they go, you know, also can be very. You know, go through the fastings and those kind of things. And of course, who do you think's cooking all those sweets? <laughs> okay. That's one thing I will say. Um, it was interesting on, on the Sabbath days, I went to a Messianic assembly, so on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I went to a Presbyterian, a Scottish church uh, in Jerusalem, because I felt like I'm, I'm on the Lord's Day, I wanted to worship. Anyway, but anyway, but walking to the assembly where I went, the Messianic assembly, I saw, I would, I would pass various Jewish men, fathers, and they'd be in their, their all their garb, and they'd be with a, you know, bringing their kids with them off to synagogue. Mom's home getting things ready and that stuff sort of thing. But, but I just really, well, so often you see here, it's, you know, the mother that takes the kids to church and dad's golfing or playing or reading the newspaper. Um, over there, you saw the men leading the family off to synagogue. I like, that was, I like that one. Well, the text before us this, uh, uh, this Sunday is John chapter 8, verses 37 to 47. John 8, 37 to 47. I'll read the text and maybe we'll make some quick remarks about it. Um, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, Jesus said, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. 
They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We had one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. I started by just noticing some of the vocabulary that's in John here. This is a word picture that shows you the, the biggest words there. Can you see that? Um, anything strike you for what's there and what's not there? Is this in the whole book of John? Just this passage. Just this passage. Jesus is very little. Yeah. Of course, he's talking, so that, that's part of it. Uh, you see a big issue is father. But you see so much of it is you, don't you? Truth is a big deal. So uh, Barb mentioned it, she was struck by how many times the word you appeared in there. And so that made me do a little quick study. And so I did a, a word study of this chapter. I, each word I marked down, counted them all. No. In the old days, that's what you do. My computer did my word for me. The chapter and, or the passage? This passage. You said the chapter. This passage. And so notice, one of the things Barb noticed was she said the, the word that struck her was the word you. It's the most frequently used word here, 24 times. It's a little small, I realize. Let me see. 24 times in this in these uh, 10 verses. You, you, you. Me, only 14 times. By the way, this includes all of them. There's another word that really stands out. Do. Nine times. And that doesn't, I think, include doing, did. Those are some other occurrences. That just kind of gives you a feel for some of the key words here. But as you look at, just look at that, that's just one corner. Anything else strike you about that list? He was actually 28 times. Pardon me? He was actually 28 times. He's got four for capitalized. Oh, see, there you go, yeah. But that's a God you, right? No, I don't think so, because... No. Beginning of a sentence. He's speaking to them, yeah, beginning of a sentence. And 28 times, thank you very much. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, that's a very... He's pointing the finger. There's two S's. <laughs> There's two S's. <laughs> yeah, what's that doing there? Okay, two S's. What if that's an apostrophe S? I don't know. You know what strikes me? Those are some pretty simple words, aren't they? 
most of them a single syllable. Again, remember I said, this is the book we love to start in when you're in first year Greek, because it's some, some basic, basic vocabulary. And, and before long, I mean, you're, you're able to read, read along and then you got to a great, then jump over to Luke or Hebrews. It's like, I thought I learned Greek. <laughs> but, but the vocabulary is very simple, but the thoughts are big. Notice you have the biggest words, because, believe, most of them are a uh, uh, single syllable. Very simple vocabulary. But, and, and, and this is a very, very, he's being very direct, isn't it? You, you, you. Capital U. 22 um, times if you count me and I. Capital. Yeah. Jesus referring to himself. 22 times referring to himself. Good, good point. Now speaking, he, his father, maybe, uh, or maybe Abraham, or Satan, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> believe twice. Yeah, so it's an interesting, well, myself too. So he's getting close. But just again, looking at that, you can just get the feel. Descendants, maybe one of the longest words in there. Simple language, but strong message. Let's just move on a little bit. Now, just some of the phrases I want to ask you to think about. What does he mean when he says, my word has no place in what pictures of that draw up in your mind? It's not welcome. Not welcome? They're kind of along there. Like that proverb that says a gold ring in the snout of a pig is like a non-discreet woman. Yeah. It's such thing like that. It, it just doesn't, it just, it, it doesn't belong in this context, yeah. Yeah, good. So, but not welcome. It doesn't fit out of out of sorts. So, I mean, he, he says it's not just you don't believe me. It's just my word just doesn't in any way connect with you. Kind of reminds me. I've mentioned before when I was first presented with the gospel, and the person at the end of it said, "I said, you know, I don't even know if there's a God. I don't, I don't know what to do with what you just told me." I mean, he could have said, "Oh, these words don't don't uh, don't have a place in you." And I'd have to say, "I think you're right." <laughs> You know, he says, what I say is from the Father, so you can say God's word is no place in that's, See, that's it. That's right. uh, yes, good point. So he keeps mentioning, now, that's the Father's word. It's the Father's word. You aren't rejecting me. You're rejecting God. Um, now, how do we, how would we make that clear in talking to someone? How, how would we communicate that? Same kind of idea. Jesus was God. Jesus is God, so we can point that. Or, or to me, when we're saying the, now the Bible is God's word, here's what the Bible says. You know, so it's 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 keep, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God and His word. And and you know, part of my understanding with, with me is I came to the place where I bowed before this word and said, "This is God's truth." And then here's another phrase. Verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What does he, what does he mean by that? What's he, what's he saying? Abraham believed God. Counted to him as righteous. Okay. Good quote. Can you give me chapter and verse? 
Romans. Oh, Romans, yeah, Romans quotes it. But in Genesis, it's a good one to know for if you're ever talking to a Jewish person, Genesis 15, 6, and you know, in the beginning God created. Uh, Abraham believed God and was counted in for righteousness. That's Abraham. That's Abraham. And James quotes it too. Yeah, so yeah, so 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 the Bible, so, our, so the New Testament keeps going back to this is a big deal. Does the father of the faithful believe God? And so he's saying, you want to claim you're Abraham's children. You know what's the that old phrase, the apple doesn't fall far, fall far from the tree? Did I get that right? And he says, you're not even in the same orchard as the tree. You're not acting like your father. And so and, and so something's wrong here. It seems like some contradictory statements there. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But he said, if you were Abraham's children. So what's he doing there? I know you're Abraham's descendants. Or physical if or spiritual. Yes. So he's saying you could be his children and not be his children. That's that teaching by confusion. But he's trying to hold up a contrast there. So yes, you're descendants of Abraham, but you're not his spiritual children in that you, you, you're not following in his faith. It'd be like not all Israel is Israel. Yeah, Paul exactly. You could be Israel and not Israel. That's a, which is a great expression. All Israel is not is not all Israel is Israel. And so here he's trying to say you could be a child of Abraham and not be a child of Abraham. What are you talking about? Physical descent is not enough. So that's why Galatians talks about Abraham is the father of the faithful. So I'm, I'm a child of Abraham in the sense that I share in his faith. So he can't be born a Baptist? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Or a Catholic. Or a Catholic. Or a Catholic. It's a, if we want to draw the contrast, I'm going to make a few. Look at 37 and 44, I think, where he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But then he says, your father is the devil. So that, that's, that's, I think, significant. You know, they were all about who's your, where, where's your heritage? Who's your father? And he's, he's moving them. You could be the physical, but who's your spiritual father? And he makes a strong statement before this section's over. Is he still talking to the leaders? Yeah. Yeah. Dennis. Well, I was just going to say, that kind of reminds me of back in my childhood, maybe even the generation before, when when you were a certain person's child and they knew that person's reputation and they kind of expected you to follow yeah. and step yeah. and would trust you or you know, you're John Smith's son and you told me this is true then I'm going to believe you based on what I know about John Smith. Yeah, good point. Expectations were there. Um, standards that you were held to. If, to me, one of the perfect, one of the great examples of that is the royal family. Of course, some aren't doing that too well. But, but there is this, you know, there's that thing. If you're going to be a part of the royal family, there are certain standards that you. And, and I've seen headlines. I don't think I've ever read any of the articles. Twenty-eight things a royal family child can't do or must do, or you know, the, the expectations are there. If you're part of this family, this is how you behave. And so. If you say you're a son of Abraham, you're not acting like Abraham. 
you know, that's interesting because in that James passage, um, James 2, he starts talking about Abraham and, you know, Abraham displayed his faith through the offering of Isaac. And he talks about works being dead, uh, faith without works being dead. And then by the by verse 15 in chapter 2, he says, um, you know, you're, you're showing by your conduct that you're sensual, you're worldly, etc. And this wisdom isn't from above, but it's demonic. So, and here we are going to, in a few verses, talk about uh, they're doing things of their father, the devil, i.e. that would be demonic. So good. James, similar themes, you know, you're behaving demonically. Um, is he thinking about this encounter? Was he here? This is James, the brother of Jesus. Was he here? Did he hear this? Or did he just, it's similar way of thinking. You're showing your true spiritual paternity by your conduct. Slightly off topic, Pastor, but the word for God in here when Jesus uses it would, have, would it have been Jehovah? Um, in the Greek, it's Theos. You see that word in theology. Um, I don't know if he was speaking in. That, that's a, actually a question that's ongoing. What what language was he speaking? Was he speaking in, in the temple? Was he speaking maybe in Aramaic? Uh, even at this point. Um, there are many Jews who really don't know their, their Hebrew too well. And so he was raised in, in Galilee where the home language was Aramaic. We can see that because some of the vocabulary he uses. And in the synagogue and such, Hebrew. Here in the temple, was he speaking in, in Hebrew or Greek? Again, if you wanted to get the broader... Because everybody spoke Greek in that thing. That's why the Jews... 250 years earlier, made a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, um, so the reason I, I started thinking about that is, would it have been off-putting for the Jewish leaders for him to use the name of God in conversation? Because would, would that tradition have been established even at that time for the name of God to not be uttered? That's a very good question because now the, the Jews have the, the and have for centuries hold the view that you should not pronounce the divine name, and so that's why there's a question: is do we even know how to pronounce it? And so uh, even in the Hebrew Bible, when the when the scribes came along later and added the vowels underneath the Y H V H or Y H W H, they they put the the vowels for. Adonai, Lord. And so, anyway, so um, when did, so that's uh, 800 years from Christ. So when did they stop using that? I don't know if that was in the time of Christ already or not. That's a good question. But, but so, um, I'm inclined to, I, I'm, you know, he, I'm not sure. I'm inclined to think he might have been speaking in Greek again just to, Make sure everybody hears and understands, because because that you know with the festivals, everybody's there. Um, is he still in the court of the Gentiles? Well, he's either in the court of the Gentiles or in the court of the women, and he's speaking. Seems like a lot of ways to the Jews, the leadership crowd. Um, 
Now, those are always a struggle. Which language do was he speaking when? It's put into writing in the scriptures in the Greek. Uh, real quickly, what contrast do you see in this verse? And um, just for, out of grace, I'll just put into, I see some contrast between I and you, my father, your father, what you speak and what you do. Um, I encourage you to read along later and then down here. Um, what's his main idea when he says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. What's he, what's he getting at? Well, he answers his own question. Oh, yeah, he does. And so what's the real problem? What's that? Well, I don't know God. Yeah. They don't know God? Heart problem. And stints won't fix it. No. Um, I've struck, I, I think a passage that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolish to him, foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Um, so they've kept the actions but lost the faith. Right, so they're going through the motions, but it, it no longer means anything. Yeah, I think you already said something about that, Pastor, earlier when you said physical versus... They're still in that mode of father and the physical aspect of it, never moving from that to the spiritual understanding of it. Maybe that's what that is. Same like Jose Gunitas, right, thinking about how can I be born again, right? He was thinking about physical birth. Exactly. Spiritual. Or how can I drink and never be thirsty? Right. Physical. I and I see and I think that is a fundamental of what Jesus was communicating. They were used to an externalized religion. If you do the rituals, if you don't do these acts, if you do these prayers, you're good. And he was saying, Hark. And and that's the problem. Sometimes these external religions, um, you just go through the motions and your heart's not engaged. And so that's the, the thing he's saying. Um, well, he said that, Greg, that, that they can't even listen to his word, let alone understand it. Yeah. They can't listen, let alone understand is what George said. Yes, Mark. Yeah, Matthew Henry has, and this is on verse 37, but I think it goes along with this, where the word of God has no place, no room to be expected. For room is left there for all wickedness. If unclean spirit find the heart empty of Christ's word, he enters in and dwells there. Hmm. It reminds me of that uh, the, the Christmas song about no room in the end, and uh, yeah, it's there's just no room. Uh, it's here's what struck me. If I have a radio sending out a signal, does it work? Does it accomplish its intended purpose? Gotta have a receiver. Yeah. And so, and if you don't have a receiver, you're there is no communication. And so, um, you're now. I'm not sure. Can you receive an AM signal on an FM only radio? If there is such a thing. No. Okay. 
I didn't want to speak dogmatically. I got people here who know. So in other words, you know, it's, so let's say, well, God's broadcasting on FM, and we've got a heart that's AM, and there, there's no connection. And so if if you're just talking without the other person able to receive, then you're trying to just talk into yourself. <laughs> And, and and so I think that's kind of how Jesus might feel, or uh, you know, or maybe when you're talking, talking to uh, sometimes a rebellious child, talking to an unbeliever. Um, am I talking to myself? Oh, are, are, are you not hearing me? Are you not engaging? And that's and so that's what Jesus said, again came back to. There's no room in your heart. It's just um, I'm, you're on the wrong frequency. Uh, you're 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 using an AM radio. You're using whatever it might be. Could that also be an anger issue? They're thinking about what they're going to say to him next and not listening to what he's saying. Yes, so there's no receptivity. They're coming defenses up and, and on the attack. You, Because he has rejected their system. Not the Bible, but all the rabbinic traditions. And he said, he chew, and he'll, not in John, he'll chew them out and say, you've, you've elevated man's tradition above scripture. Um, and so, and he, he rejects that, and so they're they're on a defensive mode. But to me, uh, we'll come back and talk obviously on Sunday. But this 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 is what we need to understand when we're talking to unbelievers. It's a spiritual issue, and and and, and as clear as we can be, the issue is it's a heart issue, and how we need to really be praying about heart issues. Where's the verse that says they they can't understand because their heart is darkness? Well, that first that first Corinthians two fourteen, I think, they can't receive it. Uh, darkness. I'd have to look that up and read it for the search, but but you know that was there. It's, not, it's spiritually discerned. Uh, so Paul talks a lot about that in First Corinthians one and two. You know, I I can't talk to you about spiritual things because you're you're carnally minded. Romans 8, you know, the, the, the flesh cannot do the things of the Spirit. Yeah, that's part of what I'm so, so that spiritual inability, the gospel, I mean, it's, it's, it's facts we must communicate. But it's, it's a spiritual issue. Uh, and how that, this is why we've got to bathe it in prayer before, during, and after. When, when campus stuff, when we were going out evangelizing on campus, that was all in agreement. One would be talking, the other's praying. And uh, just, it's a spiritual issue. But I think we'll stop there because I feel like I'm talking to myself. Because <laughs> we don't understand. <laughs> You're not willing to. There's no room for my words in you. But so, so, so again, uh, that's such a reminder when we're dealing with people, don't be too quick to lose patience. We're all there. We were there, exactly. The Lord changed our own hearts. Yeah, absolutely. Second Corinthians four four. God Yes, Second Corinthians four four. Uh, to me, what's so valuable about that is, but the gospel is God. You know, God's word, the very God who spoke light into darkness. Because that's what happened to us when we trusted Christ. He just said, let there be light. 
know, and 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 he, you know, he all of a sudden I could receive that signal. 